All right, so back to cutting room floor. Um, on Sunday, I briefly just sort of brought up a question that someone had said to me about I was using the name Yahweh mm -hmm. and what does that mean? And so I want to take a little more time to unpack sure. the very quick explanation I gave on Sunday. Yeah. So where do we start? when we understand God's name, yeah. particularly in the Old Testament. For sure, yeah, yeah. I think the the place to start would be Exodus 3 okay. in that burning bush scene. But just before we get to that, just to okay. set the context, because yeah. we're in 1 Samuel. Um, in 1 Samuel 7, that chapter that uh, you taught just recently, yeah. Yahweh, that the name for God, and we'll get to that in a little bit here, appears all over that chapter. Okay. And so that's kind of the reference of when you brought that up. Yeah, but, but when, we, when we see it in English. Yeah. It doesn't say Yahweh. It doesn't say Yahweh. It's usually in our English Bibles, all caps, L-O-R-D, Lord. Okay. And that's one of the ways, one of the primary ways that as we read our English Bibles, how we can distinguish that Yahweh is the Hebrew word behind that okay. in our English translations. Got it. And why this is important in the context of 1 Samuel is that there's this whole conversation about Israel returning to Yahweh back to God with all of their hearts. Yeah. And so L-O-R-D in all caps is being used there. And to get rid of the foreign gods. Now, in context there, the word for gods is the Hebrew word Elohim. Mm -hmm. And in the context of the Hebrew Bible, Elohim can be used to describe, in this case, other gods or other kind yeah. of deities out there. And Elohim, the Hebrew word for God, is also used to describe the God of Israel. Yeah. And so it's the same Hebrew word that can be used to describe both the spiritual beings, the deities, or the false gods of, say, um, Baal or, or Assyria or Babylon, whatever yeah. foreign nation you want to think of, and the God of Israel. So is that sort of like... Does Elohim function sort of like in English, like our word, God? Yes, exactly. In the sense where like a lowercase g, God, has yeah. this more like a broader bucket, if you yeah. will, that more things are put into that. Yeah. Like and The gods of seculars. Exactly. The, you've made money into a God. For so, sure. So we use it sort of generically. Generically and broadly. Yeah. And then it could also be for very specifically to the God of Israel, the God of Israel, the God that Christians worship, yeah. so on and so forth. And I think one of the ways, and it's usually, you know, 99% of the time, very clear as to yeah. what's being referred to. There's no mystery as far as context goes, yeah. but how that relates to Yahweh, the word, the idea we're talking about now is that often in the Hebrew Bible, Yahweh is one of the ways that the text distinguishes between the God of Israel and the foreign kind of mm. deities and implied okay. in that Yahweh then kind of gives kind of clear definition as to who this God is and what this God is like. Uh, okay. So that's kind of the narrative structure with first Samuel kind of seven, why we kind of are choosing that you referenced okay. though, just a moment ago. Okay. Where should we start though? Yeah. When trying to understand this from kind of like a biblical perspective, okay. especially in the old Testament, because this is where yeah. we often, we encounter this. And I want to take us briefly back to Exodus chapter three. We went through Exodus, you know, last year, but kind of camping back again on this kind of concept of Yahweh, the Lord, this whole name of God mm -hmm. idea. So Exodus 3, just kind of a quick recap, is that famous burning bush scene. Moses in the wilderness, he sees the burning bush, he stops, he pays attention, mm -hmm. and from that burning bush, God speaks to him. Mm -hmm. And Moses and God go back and forth. You know, I've heard the cry, I've seen my people suffer, okay. I'm sending you to go. Moses goes through kind of four or five different like pushbacks of yeah. I'm not ready, I can't speak. Reasons, excuses. Excuses, all these different things. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And one of the questions that Moses or the pushbacks that Moses gives in context here at the burning bush is in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, where Moses asks God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Hmm. What should I tell them? Verse 14, chapter 3, God replies to Moses, and then in our English translations, it's usually in all caps, I am who I am. Okay. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
And what's even kind of in context of, of the recording of this conversation, we also sang that song, The Great I Am, mm. last yesterday uh, in kind of our service. So this yeah. kind of all fits together yep. a little bit here. And so I am... Very it, intentional. Yeah, very intentional. <laughs> yeah, we, we plan these things out. That's a joke, by the way. Yeah. Um, but in context here, the I am will relate to Yahweh. And I want to talk about both okay. of these in, in the flow of the Exodus 3 story. Because yeah. if you're reading your English Bible... You really have no idea that this is happening. Totally, exactly, yeah. Because you see the capitalized Lord, and you're like, okay. And then you see I am who I am, and you're like, why would you ever connect these two pieces these, together? Exactly, yes. So kind of transliterating, which is a way of just basically saying, using the Hebrew words to make English letters. Okay. I am who I am is a a -ye. I'm probably mispronouncing a little bit, but yeah. a -ye. So wait, let me just understand transliteration is where you take like sort of the sounds mm -hmm. that a Hebrew letter makes and then make them into English, English word. letters, English letters to form an English word, it's English word. Right. So I'm not translating yeah. the word. I'm transliterating the word. So I'm yeah. taking exactly the Hebrew vowels and consonants, the sounds that they yeah. make, and then essentially just saying those things out. But yeah. then if you were to look at my notes, you're writing them out so with English can letters. Can I do an example? Totally. Yeah. So like, in Hebrew, the you know on Sunday we talked about sort of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Mm -hmm. Tov and Ra. Exactly, yeah. Right. So in Hebrew, good is Tov. Mm -hmm. If we transliterate the word Tov, we spell it as T O V. Exactly. But in Hebrew, that's not how you would yeah. read it. You don't use English alphabet letters. Correct. Exactly. So we yeah. take the sounds that tov, yes. which is a Hebrew word, mm -hmm. and then we write it in English letters. In English letters, exactly. Is that an example? Exactly, 100%. Okay. And that's exactly what I'm doing here in the, the kind of the disadvantage with just an audio here. Yes. Is you're not actually seeing totally. the transliteration, <laughs> which is probably necessary for something like this. But if you can hear along with what I'm saying, I am is a ye. And if you listen carefully, that sounds very similar to Yahweh. Mm. And I think there's, there's intentionality going on there. Yeah. And kind of the basic idea is I am who I am, a ye, is essentially the first person of what Yahweh is. So the first person being, so think about like your high school English class, first mm -hmm. person pronouns, okay. like I is like the first person pronoun that we have in English. Okay. And so a ye is the Hebrew of saying I am. And that's why it's mm -hmm. translated I am. Mm -hmm. Now, the kind of a nerdy note, kind of going maybe a tad little bit deeper with some of this, is that technically the way that that is formed in the Hebrew there is also some people debate this in like the, what we would consider like the future tense. So another way that it's often translated in English Bibles is I will be who I will be. Mm -hmm. So this aspect of God being present with Moses in context here, not only now, but primarily think about Moses going to Pharaoh in the future. I will be who I will be. I will be the one who's going to be with you okay. in the future. So aye, that's kind of the first person Yahweh. As you come to the next section here. So the next verse, actually verse 15, God also said to Moses, this is to the Israelites, the Lord, again, so this is capital L-O-R-D, so Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered for generation, and God keeps going on there. Now, what God just did in like three verses is essentially give his name in both the first person, I am, and in the third person, basically how God's people, in particular in this case, Moses, is, a, is to address God. Mm. So when God says his name, it's obviously going to be in the first person, I am, right? Mm. When Moses, and by extension Israel, says God's name, it's in the third person, he is. Mm. So at the very kind of crux of what most people think these names mean is a is the first person, I am. I am the one who's present, constant, 
so on and so forth. This okay. big bucket of God's steadfastness, okay. essentially. He is, or Yahweh, is like, from our perspective, looking up at God, saying he is the one who yeah. is. And so that's this kind of somewhat nebulous idea, but it's just this basic form of he is. Hmm. He is what? Well, we're going to get to that in a second here. Yeah. Um, but let me kind of just pause right there. Just kind of, does that kind of flow idea make sense a little bit there? Sure. So you have uh, I am is a yay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's maybe how God says his own name. Yeah. But when we call out to God or say God's name, it's Yahweh. Yahweh. He is. Yeah. So that's the he third is. person. Yeah. So like that so would you're be sort like of breaking down the the grammar mm-hmm. or the verb conjugation. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and then you're helping us to see trace back. Oh, this is why when a pastor or a person says God's name in the Old Testament, sometimes they say Yahweh. Yahweh. But this doesn't get at the fact that why isn't it just written? Written. Yes, exactly. And so this is, goes back to essentially when you think about throughout the Old Testament, there's these, all of these lines, especially like in the wisdom literature, the fear of the Lord hmm. is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And attached to God's name is this idea that God is transcendent, holy, powerful, just not in the same category as mm-hmm. us as human beings. And so Israel had this huge reverence and respect for God. Yeah, it's kind of the commandment, right? Don't take the Lord's name, name in vain. vain. Exactly. Yeah. So there's this huge reverence for who God is. And as part of that reverence, there was actually this tradition that built up of not actually saying the actual name. So what would they say then? So oftentimes they would just say Hashem in Hebrew, which is the name, the name, the name. It was one of the ways that that would be kind of spoken or talked about. And so there was just such reverence and respect for Yahweh, which is what we're getting at here is the personal name of God, which is different than God. God is like a generic kind of title or yeah. like category. Yahweh is like the personal name of God. Hmm. And so I think that's, that's an important distinction to bring in here as yeah. well. But that personal name, because of the personal nature of God and also the respect yeah. and reverence of God, built this sort of, I guess, tradition or practice of not actually speaking the name. So let me ask a question then, and I know you probably are, this wasn't what you planned, but so then what changes with Christians, right? Mm -hmm. Because in Christian circles, after Jesus comes, God takes on human flesh, there's this intimacy and knowledge. Christians feel a little less irreverent saying the name. Sure, yes. Do you know the history? I don't know necessarily the full history. I think I have like a like a textual like leaning as to why some of that happened a little bit. I have a little bit of that maybe towards the end of how Yahweh, the name translates or how that intersects with Jesus Mm. in the new Testament and some of the overlap that the the new Testament writers do with some of that. I think that's actually a really good point and question as to why do we just go around like in church or in a sermon saying Yahweh all the time. And it's interesting. I think even most modern like Jewish people would probably hold to that ancient practice of not saying Yahweh. And so what's the difference? Why the kind of difference of practices? I think it's a great, that's a great point. But how then, which related to this though, gets to if we don't actually know or ancient Israel for the most part, more than likely didn't say the name, Mm -hmm. how then do we know how, this name was pronounced. How do we know we're actually mm-hmm. saying it right when we say mm-hmm. Yahweh? And this gets out to a little bit of like a little bit nerdy kind of history stuff going on here. But I do think it's important to understand like why Yahweh is, is being spoken okay. oftentimes. So Yahweh, and, well, just kind of the Hebrew language in general, was originally written with just all consonants. Okay. So no vowels, 
just consonants. Yeah. So as we kind of transliterate it, Yahweh, or what we kind of say as Yahweh, would essentially be the equivalent of Y-H-W-H in all caps. Okay. Um, so it's Yod, He, Vav, He in, in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another word in Hebrew that is basically translated as Lord in our English Bible, but it's not the same word as like Yahweh in our English Bible. This is like the generic word for like master, Lord, mm. ruler, that sort of thing. Not necessarily talking about a deity or yeah. like a spiritual being or anything. Yeah. So that word is Adonai. Yeah. And so that's a semi-common word that kind of gets thrown around. Adonai, what ends up happening over the years is that the consonants from Yahweh and the vowels, because eventually vowels were kind of put in later, the vowels from Adonai from the for the Masorites, kind of in the medieval-ish period, yeah. were so, merged. I mean, this is a long time Like later. a long history, yeah. yeah. Were merged together to essentially get what we now have as Yahuwah or Yahweh is how it just kind of smooths out into English. And so that's essentially kind of the background as to why most people would just generally just say Yahweh in kind of conversations like this. Tell me a little bit, because I know there's like some songs or maybe some people that would say like Jehovah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so so, that's sort of an interest, right? Like depending on your circles you're in, they're like Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. They say Jehovah this. Yes. And so what's interesting about Jehovah is that that, that's nowhere in the biblical text itself. And there's no evidence as far as how the Hebrew language works that that would have been remotely a possibility of how it would have been spelled and or pronounced. More than likely, what seems to have happened is somewhere in the medieval period, a mistransliteration of the Hebrew consonants <laughs> occurred and it has stuck with us for centuries. So now we have this leftover, kind of this in the same sort of category, yeah. what you just mentioned, uh, names or sayings like Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And it's it kind of relates to how... So wait, just to clarify, Jireh is a clear yeah, Jireh, yeah, it's in there word. For sure. Jehovah is resulting from a medieval mistranslation. Yes. Like you have all these monks translating yes. all the time. Somewhere, yes. there's a mistranslation that happens, and then people start pronouncing... Exactly. What essentially more than likely happened was it kind of... You have to be able to see kind of the Hebrew consonants, but... Essentially, what we would consider like the the Y in Hebrew, it's just like a basically like a little comma. Yeah. What it looks That's like. It's a comma, a floating. It comma. comma. It's a floating <laughs> comma. Essentially, <laughs> is that more than likely got misinterpreted for essentially what we would consider like a J or a J yeah. kind of sound. And so when that change happens, it just kind of gets carried <laughs> over. It's this really kind of funny yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But you'll notice that we, you know, we will generally say Yahweh and not Jehovah yeah. for that reason because Yahweh seems to be closer to. Yeah the biblical grammar and the biblical Most text. Most scholars would say exactly. that is as good as we can get. As good as we can get with that. Yeah. Um, and so all of that kind of background to the name, just kind of bringing this back to this point of all of like the, the uncertainty with how this was pronounced and the merging of the vowels and letters kind of gets at this bigger idea of the reverence and the awe and the respect mm. that ancient Israel had for God and his name, where we've kind of had to do some piecing together of how exactly would they have pronounced yeah. and said you know, this name. Now, as the kind of this biblical story goes on in the book of Exodus, there is, I think, a really important passage that okay. really highlights why what Yahweh actually means and what Israel would have mm. thought of as they were thinking about and talking about the name. The name. Exactly. And so it comes up right after the golden calf incident. Mm-hmm. They're up on Mount or Moses up on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And they have Moses and God have this interaction where it's the text says the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed Yahweh Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth or mm. covenant love. Some depending on your translation. Yeah. Hesed. Hesed. Yeah, exactly. And the point being is that here is essentially where <laughs> God is 
giving his basically self-disclosure, his description mm. of who he is, character. his character, as it relates to his name, mm. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And so for ancient Israel, and especially when we look at the biblical text, the most quoted verse in the Old Testament is Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Yeah, which, which is pretty is, interesting. Which is, yeah, it's the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. Mm. And so when God's name is used, Yahweh, his personal name, this is what Israel would have thought of. Compassionate, mm. gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loyal love. Because it's basically... His name, his name, and then a bunch of adjectives. Adjectives, which goes back to, think with me when you went to Exodus 3, all I mentioned there was Yahweh, third person, he is. And the question is, he is what, what? <laughs> right? Uh. And so this is the connection with Exodus 34, 6, and 7. He is these things, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding mm. in loyal love. And so this whole, the, the Exodus narrative is crucial for ancient Israel and their understanding of Yahweh, the personal mm. name of God. Again, you have on one hand the generic God, Elohim, mm -hmm. personal name, Yahweh. He is. He is what? Exodus 34, 6, and 7 spells that out That's awesome. for the ancient ancient Israelite and by extension us. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It's kind of like he says, you know, who are you? What's your name? He is. And he's like, okay. And then he goes into, you know, Pharaoh, mm -hmm. all these plagues. They see God work. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it, they get to Mount Sinai. Yes. And then... After they've had these experiences, then he finishes the sentence. He finishes the sentence, yes. And so now they have the like the verbal truth, Exodus 34, mm -hmm. but they also have the experience, the narrative story yeah. experience of experiencing the one who is. Yeah. And so I think this is, cool. is crucial because then as you keep reading the Old Testament, Yahweh or capital L-O-R-D is just popping up all over the place. Mm -hmm. And then again, it's connected back to even like the Ten Commandments, yeah. uh, uh, the, the name commandments there. Yeah, cool. And then the whole idea of knowing the character of God not just propositionally, but experientially yeah. as well. That's cool. Now, as this kind of plays itself out, it's just kind of a couple quick, one quick example from the Old Testament is how I mentioned earlier, there's the generic word for master or Lord, Adonai. Mm -hmm. And then we also have Yahweh, the personal proper yeah. name of God. And sometimes you'll see these two right next to each other, mm -hmm. especially in the Psalm. So Psalm 8 verse 1 says, Lord, our Lord. So in English, it's the two same English yeah. words there, Lord, Lord. But it's Yahweh our Adonai. So Yahweh our master or my master. Mm. How magnificent is your name. So think back then, Exodus 34, wow. 6 and 7, your name throughout the earth. And so it's this psalm, Psalm 8, this poem, this song of recognizing that Yahweh, the personal name for mm. God, is this person's master, Lord, ruler. That's really and cool. that his name, his reputation, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, is to be made known Wow. throughout the earth. So it kind of like combines all those All elements. these different things. So Psalm, whoever wrote Psalm 8 had all these things floating mm. in his, his or her brain and is merging them together in this poetic song of praise, essentially. Mm. Um, and so I think that's one way, I think, at least for an ancient Israelite author, Psalm 8, this played itself out in okay. worship and adoration, the reverence of Yahweh being the one true master in his name, his reputation, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast mm. love, gracious, all those things being made known throughout the earth. Now... So just text summary. Yeah, yeah. You have Exodus 3. Mm -hmm. Then you have Exodus, what is it? 34, 6, and 7. That's 34. right after the golden calf incident. And then Psalm 8. Psalm 8, yes. So it's like three different, if someone wants to like do a little exactly, marinating yeah. in these texts. For, okay? for sure, exactly. And so kind of what I wanted to do is bring those all together because if we think about our story in 1 Samuel 7, mm. the crucial thing that's happening there in that chapter is Israel turning away from all these other Elohim, mm. the, the Baals and the Asherahs, mm -hmm. all these different gods, and turning back to Yahweh, the God of Israel, mm. the covenant name, the personal name mm. of God, their, who is supposed to be their one true Adonai, mm. their one true master. Yeah, and turning back to him, who is 
slow to anger, yes. abounding in steadfast for love, sure. all those kind all of those sorts of things. And it was crucial for them, even to think about the how the story more or less ends in, in chapter seven mm-hmm. with that Ebenezer stone, that mm-hmm. stone of remembrance. Yeah, and yeah. then remembering not only what God did in chapter seven, but also yeah. this context of remembering the, the Exodus narrative of what mm. it means to think about praise the name of God mm. is to recollect or kind of reinvigorate the stories of the Exodus of the one who is and who did all these things as That's the one cool. who is. And then that's spelled out again, Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Now, just one thing to maybe kind of close with this is that you brought up something earlier about the Christian Jewish difference yeah. as far as using the name. And I think there's a little bit, this probably isn't going to be like a full kind of answer or even response to that. But it gets at something with how then the New Testament writers understood the person of Jesus and the connection to Yahweh, the Lord, okay. and that name. So just kind of one example with this is that you have in Philippians 2. So Philippians 2 is kind of this famous passage where it talks about uh, Jesus not counting quality with God as something to be grasped. Mm -hmm. He humbles himself, dies a death on the cross, Mm -hmm. and God exalts him. Mm -hmm. Now, at the end of that passage, let me just kind of read it here. For this reason, God has has highly exalted him, Jesus, and gave him the name... Hmm. That is above every name so that at the name, so I mean names three times right there, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hmm. Okay, so there's a couple you're combining a you're lot com- of those com- elements Paul is again. combining a lot of these elements here. Now, what Paul is also doing, he's also riffing off of something in Isaiah because in Isaiah 45, it, I, God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah where Yahweh is saying, by myself I have sworn a, a word that will not be revoked, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will mm. confess to me. And that's Yahweh using his name, saying every tongue and every knee will bow to me. Now, Paul, you know, centuries later, is looking at the person of Jesus and his ministry and his life, and essentially takes the Isaiah 45 passage and inserts Jesus into the slot of Yahweh yep. there. And so what we have here is that now for a first century follower of Jesus, like Paul, he seems to think that this Jesus is the embodiment, is the one who is Yahweh in the flesh. Yeah. And so now what I think, part of what I think is happening here is that now Jesus, not that Jesus is like a replacement of Yahweh in the sense that we no longer need to you know, say Yahweh he or think about. Yahweh. He is Yahweh. Exactly. Yeah. And so. So there's like a, a little more familiarity. Exactly. Clearly saying the name of Jesus all the time. All the time, yes. And so maybe there's like, you can, he's maybe breaking down or commingling this idea of like awe and silence. For sure. And saying, no, 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 like we are saying the name of Jesus. So maybe it's okay if we say God's name. Exactly, yes. And so recognizing that Jesus is, and even he says it right here, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now it's a different, it's a different language first off, but the idea of Jesus Christ is Lord, I can't help but wonder, he's definitely recollecting with the context of name, tongue confessed you know, knee shall bow Yahweh in that instance, that yeah. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Yeah. He's the one that Isaiah talks about. He's the one that I am at the burning bush, all those sorts of yeah. things. And then the coalescing or the merging of all these things together in the person of Jesus, I think is what is giving permission for these first century followers to speak the name mm. of God, that name being Jesus, yeah. which also is a kind of like a fill in the gap, so to speak, of, of Yahweh or like a stand-in yeah. for Yahweh. They're one and the same yeah. in this in this kind of passage yeah. here. That's good. So no, That's great. It sort of gives us an idea of like where to go historically in the text, mm-hmm. uh, back to Exodus, 
3.34, Psalm 8, then you just rift in Isaiah, was it 45? Yeah, Isaiah 45, verse Isaiah, 23. Yeah, 45, then you go into Philippians 2. two. So I think as we're leaning in, you can start to see how it develops. For sure. And seeing how it develops in like, I mean, the ground, the, you know, landing it on the ground, the point is both with first Samuel seven and all these texts together is that allegiance to God, devotion to God as the one true God as Yahweh and Jesus as King is what I think these texts are summoning us to. It's cool. Thanks man. Awesome.